ago, uh, I was actually still living in Maryland, and my daughter Brianna was with her ex-husband uh, uh, living in uh, Virginia, and they had gone to a state fair, and uh, they were going and visiting some booths, and they were doing something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but as they were doing it, they, uh, they got to this one booth, and they, they had this raffle thing, and they were told that they had won a brand new finished basement because of what they had done. And they're like, well, we don't have a basement, you know. My mother has a basement, Chris said, but we don't have one. And, and they said, well, you just win a finished basement, whoever you want to give it to. And so they actually gave their mother's number, and they said, that's fantastic. And, and then they went out to dinner, and they, they went home. They forgot to tell anybody about it. They were so excited, but they had forgot to tell about it. Uh, a few weeks later, a phone call comes, and Granny answers the phone. And as Granny answers the phone, the guy says, hey, I uh, just wanted you to know, uh, I'm calling you to let you know that you have won a finished basement, and we're going to come and, and, and do this. We want to know where your, where your house is, where your address is. We're going to come and take care of that, just like we told you. And Granny was like, yeah, no thanks. I know this is a telemarketer and just hung up on them and then never heard from them again. And when Brianna came home and said, and when Granny said, oh, you wouldn't believe this, a telemarketer called, she was like, her and Chris were like, are you kidding me? Oh, we forgot to tell you. I cannot believe this. That was a true call. And they never got another number. They never got another way to get a hold of them. They just moved on to the next person that had won and... They never got the finished basement. They were so close, and yet so far. Almost, but not. My brother Luciano told me that uh, one day he was standing in line to buy a lotto ticket, yep, in New York, and he's standing in, in long line, and he's going, and he's waiting. People are buying lotto tickets. And the guy in front of him gets a ticket. He scratches it off, and he wins $500 a week for life on his ticket. The guy right in front of him. And Luciano says, are you kidding me? And as the guy walks away, the guy says, can I help you? The guy, Luciano says, nah, forget it. It's like, almost, I mean, what are the chances of that? Just one person, I could have been the one, right? One person, just, oh, so close and yet so far. Have you ever gotten close to something? Close to something maybe really big? I mean, like really big, so close, yet so far, almost, but not quite. The next few chapters that we're going to be diving into in the book of Acts are a bunch of almost moments, culminating in one of the saddest almost moments. We're going to look at this. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, and this is what we ended with last week, if you remember, Paul says these words, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me. Going, not knowing. There is Paul saying goodbye to a group of dear friends on this Asian beach. He is there, several of them crying, weeping, because they know that they will never see Paul again. And, and, it's, and it's hard, and the, 
embraces strong and, and he is there holding each eye, each face, keeping them to memory, then looking out onto the sea, knowing that, that he is going, not knowing, to Jerusalem, drawn, he says, irresistibly by the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 21, verse 1, reads this way. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out the sea and sailed straight to Kos. And the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. I, I have to be honest with you. When I read those words, after we had torn ourselves away from them, it reminded me of that day almost five years ago. Uh, I was just talking with some friends a little while ago about how this September 11 coming up will be exactly five years that I've been here. Just this, this does not seem like it. Five years. Well, five years ago, saying goodbye to Brianna in Maryland, knowing that we were going to get in that car and drive across the country to a place we had never been going, not knowing, right? We had never been here. We had never crossed the country before like this. And I remember, remember this, this moment, we were just weeping and and, and we were hugging, and, and then we prayed, and, and then we hugged some more, and then we weeped some more. And, and what should have normally been a 10-minute goodbye took us about an hour because we had to tear ourselves away from her. It was so, so painful. I remember being in the car driving with, with Nancy in, in the passenger seat and, and Lucy, our dog, in the back, and our car filled to the max, just crying and sobbing for those first few minutes. Going, not knowing. The book of Acts says that they traveled through the different harbor towns on their way to Jerusalem. The Bible says they met this prophet named Abagus. And Abagus takes Paul's belt and he binds his hands and his feet, his own hands and feet. Uh, and he uses it as a prop, like Pastor Fred does often. And as he's using this prop, he makes this prophecy, and he says, Paul will be bound hands and feet by those who are Jews, and they will hand them over to the Gentiles. It was a, a prophecy that he gives. And we are told in uh, Acts chapter 21, Verses 12 to 13, it says, Now, when we heard these things, those who were there, both we and those from that place pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Please don't go. I mean, if that's what's going to happen, why would you go? And then Paul answered this. And I love this. I love the way Paul answered. And this should really be, I, I, I would hope that if this was ever my situation, that I could answer like this. Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping? And breaking my heart. <laughs> Why would you do this to me? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, what Paul was saying is, I, I, want, I, I want to, my heart to be broken 
by what breaks God's heart. That should be our prayer. God, break our hearts with what breaks your heart. Because we see things differently from this perspective, but from your perspective, Lord, you know everything. And they sail on. We are told that in Jerusalem, it was just as the prophet said. Legalism reared its ugly head again. The disciples welcomed Paul open on with open arms, but if you remember in chapter 15, we had talked about that special council when they had talked about circumcision, and there were these these that said, no, no, you have to circumcise, and 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 and, and then James says, no, no, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles to believe. Remember that? We had that, that, that amazing study on that, and I believe that with all my heart, but of course, it caused some to get very, very angry about this. Those words really only fueled a passive-aggressive resentment. And so when Paul and, and, and Barnabas left that day, those Jews ended up talking to other Jews, and they ended up getting this resentment that built and built and built over the years as Paul traveled from place to place. And so then, at that point, they began to hurl accusations, and they, they were just totally based on lies. In fact, Paul did everything he could to live up to all that he could to be a, a, a good Jew and a good believer. And, and he, he tried all that he could not to offend the Jewish believers, and at the same time, not to make it hard for the Gentile believers. But they, they, they just came up with all kinds of, of lies, and they caused a mob to try to beat Paul almost to death. And just in the nick of time, a Roman commander comes on the scene. And there is Paul bruised and bleeding and almost dead. And once again, he leverages his Roman citizenship, and he has afforded a chance to defend himself. And I don't know how he does it, but Paul does not waste this opportunity to merely defend himself. He decides, this is a great time to give my testimony. So he retells his Damascus experience, and he invites his listeners to repent and be baptized. But the crowd becomes even more defiant and even more violent and they, they, it's like a sudden, sudden frenzy. Uh, let, let, me just, let me give you a warning here that's so important because I see this in the history of Israel so clearly. And I've seen this in the lives of some who, who were once close to God, but then at some point they say no to the Holy Spirit. Here's the warning. Beware of saying no to the Holy Spirit too many times because there is a severe price to pay. George Sewell once wrote these words. He said, fear and hate are the tax that conscience pays to guilt. Fear and hate are the tax that conscience pays to guilt. 
Now, let me give you a little something to think about here. Uh, next week, we're going to meet our new intern, Larissa. Pastor Larissa will be here. I will be interviewing her. And she's going to share some gems that uh, she has learned from chapter 22 uh, that I don't want to give away, but you don't want to miss that. That's going to be pretty amazing. So I'm going to kind of skip over some of that. But I do want to get into the fact that, that Paul is taken before the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish council. And in chapter 23, we see the genius of Paul's methods as he appeals to the theological mindset of both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this is really brilliant. And he said, because the Pharisees, you see, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. So he says, you know, all I am doing is this, I am believing, and you're, you're mad at me because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And this now causes an uproar between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they begin to fight amongst each other. It's almost as if he is saying, look, you want to fight? Then just fight, fight amongst each other. And they begin to do that. But in the midst of that, they begin to also hurt Paul. In fact, it says uh, in Acts chapter 23, verses uh, 10 through 12, it says, Now when they arose, uh, when, now when there arose, rather, a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, because that's how intense their fight was, they commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them. Can you imagine this scene? Can you imagine how intense this must have been? And bring him to the barracks. And I love this. The following night, the Lord stood by and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Be of good cheer. You know, those moments, we've talked about this before, those moments when Jesus encourages us. You know, through this time, we have been so blessed by church family that have, have called us and have texted us and have come over and helped us out with little things or brought us little gifts or, or sent us a card with a gift in it. I mean, it, you have no idea how encouraging this has been to Nancy and I during these times. It's almost as if Jesus is standing there saying, Sergio, be of good cheer. As you have testified I need you to continue to testify. So there's Paul, and he is, he is encouraged. Well, of course, at this point, the Jews were committed, even more so, to rid themselves of Paul once and for all. See, they thought of him as a traitor, because at one point, he was against the way. He was killing these people from this sect. But now, he's on their side, and it almost worked. They were trying to, to kill him. They were trying to have this whole plot that they had to, to kill him. But the plot was foiled. And the commander had heard about it. And this is what the commander did for this one man. 
for this guy named Paul who was a Roman citizen. And this is what he did. He gets 200 soldiers plus 70 horsemen and they take Paul to Caesarea to be before the governor Felix because the commander doesn't know what to do. He says, look, these guys want to kill him. I don't even know why. And I, I just can't do this without knowing why. And this was the beginning of his destined voyage to Rome and also the beginning of Paul being in chains for the rest of his life. Chapter 24, I know we're going fast here because I'm going to get us to one point that's important. There's a lot of repetition here. There's a lot going on. And we just don't have the time to get into it all. But chapter 24, once again, the Jewish leaders are relentless. And so they appeal to Felix before Paul even arrives. I mean, they're so good at this. They use politics. They use diplomacy. They even use flattery to try to get to Felix. And, and Felix says, all right, well, let's see what we can do. Look what it says in Acts chapter 24, verse 5. And listen to what they say. This is what they say about Paul. We have found this man a pestilence or a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. I mean, they, 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 they call him a ringleader. They call him uh, somebody that, that is a mover of... of uh, of a sedition, a creator of dissension, a, 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 a man of pestilence. You know, this is like, this is like, they're calling him COVID-19. I mean, they're, they're saying, this, is guy is, this guy is dangerous. He is a virus. I don't know about you, but it just blows my mind that they could get to this point of hatred that they can get to this point of being so self-convinced that they're willing to, to, to say this about their fellow brother. Passive aggressiveness that is fueled by guilt and constantly deferred is a fuse ready to, be, ready to explode. And they were just, it was like a bomb ready to explode. They were basically saying, just let us have him and we will be rid of him for you. We will squash him like a bug. Trust us. Just Let's just get rid of this guy. I mean, he is, he is a plague. Well, next, Paul gets his shot at defending himself again. And once again, even Felix doesn't know what to do. Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25. It says this. Now catch this. After some days... When Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, by the way, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Think about that. As he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Are you catching what's happening here? It's as if the Holy Spirit is tugging at his heart, little by little, little by little. 
tugging at his heart. Almost. Almost being convinced. And he answered, Go away for now. And when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. <laughs> it's really interesting. It says, Meanwhile, he hoped that money would be given by Paul, that he might release him. And therefore he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Luke tells us that two years go by. Two years that Felix keeps Paul in chains and in prison, hoping that Paul will find some way to get some money to bribe him to get out of there. Because that's what Romans do. Paul just uses those moments to keep trying to penetrate Felix's heart. Almost. But no. And so the Bible tells us a new governor takes over. And his name is Festus. And guess what? Yep, you guessed it. The Jewish leaders ceaselessly and ruthlessly redouble their efforts. After patiently waiting two years, they appeal to the new governor. I mean, these guys are just relentless, aren't they? They just go, oh, they're just doing this over and over and over again. Can I be honest with you? It took Nancy and I only a few churches before we began to realize that there are those who wait for the new pastor to come with the prospect that they could have his ear, that they can unload all their criticism, all that they see wrong with the church, hoping that the new guy or the new girl will side with them. We've seen this happen in so many churches. It is really interesting. This is exactly what's happening here. And these Jewish leaders again appeal to this new governor from political stance. And it seems that they are becoming successful. Almost. They're saying, come on, let him go to Jerusalem to stand trial. Of course, they're thinking about an ambush. And they can almost taste the victory. Almost. But Saul pulls out all the stops at this point. He realizes what's going on. And he says, I am a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. And Festus says, you've appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you'll go. A few days later, a new figure appears on the scene. And this is, this is the part I really want to zero in on as we, as we kind of focus in on this, this last part. And it's King Agrippa II. Now, just to give you a little history on King Agrippa II, his great-grandfather was the one we know as Herod the Great. He was the one that had all of the children to and under murdered in Bethlehem because the Messiah was born. His uncle was Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Nice pedigree, huh? His father, King Agrippa I, 
was the one who beheaded the Apostle James, the very first apostle to be martyred. You read about that a few weeks ago. And he shows up with his wife, who really is his sister, Bernice. So he comes from a long line of cold-blooded, immoral people. This is the king, and he comes with pomp, and he gives Paul permission to speak and defend himself before he sends him on to Caesar. So Paul begins, and I love the way he does this. Paul is, I cannot believe the patience and his ability to, to, to kind of compose himself, to, to say these things. Listen to this, Acts chapter 26, 2 and 3. Acts 26, 2 and 3, it says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with Jews. So in other words, Paul says, look, I'm happy to have this opportunity. I feel lucky to be able to be here before you, king. By the way, he uses the word king six times in this speech. And then he says, therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. And he goes on with his defense. And then in verse 6 and 8, he says something very interesting. Acts chapter 26, verses 6 and 8. He says, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. In other words, I'm being judged for having hope in this promise that God made to our fathers as Jews. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God day and night, hope to attain, he says. For this hope, sake king agrippa for this hope's sake i am accused by the jews why should it be though incredibly by your by you that god raised the dead why should this be such an incredible thing that god would raise the dead this was the hope this was what god had promised why should why, why should why is this such a big deal why why, why are we rejoicing that this has happened <coughs> imagine you're taking a flight somewhere. It's got a connection. And your first flight is late. This has happened to me many times. And you run as fast as you can to the gate for your next flight. And, and you ask the gate attendant, the gate agent, when does flight 452 depart? And she says, in about five minutes. So you realize you have a few minutes to spare. So you go to the bathroom Check out Facebook. You look in the mirror. Make sure your hair is nice. Your trousers are, haven't got any creases in them. Your shoes are nice. Everything's clean. And now you've checked yourself over and over again. You go back to the gate counter. And you notice that something is strange. And you, you ask the gate agent again, how, how long now before 452 
departs. And she says, sir, did you not hear the loudspeaker? The 452, you just depart. You, you just missed it. Almost. You just missed it. And the reason you missed the flight was because you were so focused on yourself. You missed your opportunity to board. Now, as silly as that illustration may sound, can I be honest with you? That's exactly what the Jews did. They didn't have a few minutes. They had four, they had over 400 years to wait on the very Messiah that they were promised. I mean, they missed him because they were so focused on all the technicalities and on looking good and, and being good. And they missed the Messiah. And if you've not heard anything else, listen to this. Listen, friends. The greatest tragedy that we will experience is not the evil that we have failed to avoid, but rather the life that God designed for you and I to live. The life that is connected to the Savior Oh yeah, many of us will have done a great job avoiding evil, but we will have missed the Messiah. So then Paul continues and he recounts one last time his Damascus experience. Someone once said, expression deepens impression. I think Paul just keeps repeating this. Not only for them, but that's so that he can be reminded of that awesome moment. And so he tells this, 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 this experience. And then the moment of truth comes. And this is my favorite part of this whole story. Acts chapter 26, 24 through 29. It says, Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. <laughs> You're going crazy, man. Like, like, really? Like, this is the king you're talking to. Do you know what you're saying? And this is Paul at his best. Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak the word of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention. Since this thing was done not in a corner. And then he turns to King Agrippa. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And he's looking at him. Do you believe the prophets, he says. I know that you believe. And this is a moment, a hinge moment in the life of King Agrippa. I mean, this is the best altar call you could ever imagine right here. And then Agrippa says to Paul, you almost, almost, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and all together, such as I am, except for these chains.
in the Message Bible, it says this way, but Agrippa did answer, keep this up much longer and you'll make me a, you make a Christian out of me. I love that. You keep this, you just keep going a little longer and, I, and you just might make me a Christian. I mean, just, just stop. Almost. If we could look into the future somehow through the eyes of God and see those standing outside the New Jerusalem waiting to hear Lucifer's, Lucifer's command for the one final attack that is written about in the book of Revelation, we would find all sorts of people who were at one point almost persuaded. Almost persuaded to become believers. No doubt outside the walls of the New Jerusalem we would see farmers and factory workers. We would see rich. We would see poor. We would find doctors and nurses, lawyers, businessmen. We would find some teachers and some politicians, some policemen. Among those there would be some movie stars and some athletes. We would also find some people who went to church. We might even find some people that went to church with us who listened to many sermons but never really made it across the threshold of eternity. Could not let go of the grip of earth like King Agrippa. Almost. You know what the saddest words in the Bible are? Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. I believe those are the saddest words in the Bible. The harvest is past. The summer has ended and we are not saved. Please. If you have never done so before, or if you need to recommit your life to Christ, why not do it now? As I pray, commit your life to Christ. Don't, don't, don't wait till you think you're perfect. You're never going to be perfect apart from Christ. We can only experience victory as we are connected to Christ. What would it feel like? Think about this. What would it feel like to lay your head on your pillow tonight and say to yourself with tremendous contentment, you know what I did today? I gave my life fully to Christ. Fully. No bars hold. I'm just fully to Christ. And tomorrow, I will team up with him to change the world. How awesome would that be? Would you pray with me and recommit your life? Father in heaven, Lord, I want to join those who are praying right now and say, Lord, we recommit our lives. I recommit my life to you. 
There may be some that are hearing this that may never have, have taken this, that they've come close, almost. And I pray, Father, that maybe the words that we have spoken today, the, the stories that we have read, the courage of Paul, the encouragement of Jesus, might push them across the threshold of eternity. Please, Father, if there's anyone here within the sound of the voice that I speak through the amazing miracle of technology, Lord, I pray that you would tug at their hearts, that they would give their lives to you. This is not about anything but a relationship with you. May they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you hold them in the palm of your hand, that you love them and that you will never let them go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless everybody. We'll see you next week.